0: chapter 5 of love insurance this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org love insurance by earl dare biggers chapter 5 mr trimmer throws his bomb miss cynthia merrick was a good many girls in one so many indeed that it might truthfully be added That while most people are never so much alone as when in a crowd, Miss Merrick was never so much in a crowd as when alone. Most of these girls were admirable. A few were more mischievous than admirable, but rely upon it that every single one of them was nice. It happened to be as a very serious minded girl that Miss Merrick opened her eyes on Tuesday morning. She lay for a long time watching the Florida sunshine spoken of so tenderly in the railroad's come on books as it danced across the foot of her bed to-day the lilith was to steam into san marco harbor Today her bridegroom was to smile his slow british smile on her once more she recalled these facts without the semblance of a thrill where she wondered was the thrill the frivolous girl who had met lord harrowby abroad and dazzled by dreams of social triumphs to come had allowed her aunt to urge her into this betrothal was not present at the moment had she been she would have declared this Cynthia Merrick a silly, and laughed her into gaiety again. Into the room toddled the aunt, who had stood so faithfully on the coaching line abroad. With heavy wit she spoke of the coming of Lord Harrowby. Miss Cynthia did not smile. She turned grave eyes on her aunt. "'I'm wondering,' she confessed, "'was it the thing to do after all? Shall I be so very happy?' "'Nonsense!' Ninety nine out of a hundred engaged girls have doubts. It's natural. Aunt Mary sat down on the bed, which groaned in agony. Of course you'll be happy. You'll take precedence over Marian Bishop. Didn't we look that up? And after the airs she's put on when she's come back to Detroit, well, you ought to be the happiest of girls. I know, but Miss Merrick continued to gaze solemnly at her aunt. She was accustomed to the apparition. To anyone who knew Aunt Mary only in her public appearances, a view of her now would have been startling. Not to go too deeply into the matter, she had not yet been poured into the steel girders which determined her public form. Her washed-out eyes were puffy, and her grey hair was not so luxurious as it would be when she appeared in the hotel dining-room for lunch. There she sat, a fat little lump of a woman who had, all her life, chased will-o'-the-wisps. "'But what?' she demanded firmly. "'It seems as if all my fun were over. "'Didn't you feel that way when you became engaged?' "'Hardly, but then I hadn't enjoyed everything money will buy, as you have.' "'I've already said you had too much. "'There, dear, cheer up. "'You don't seem to realize. "'Why, I can remember when you were born, in the flat down on Second Street, "'and your father wearing his old overcoat another year to pay the doctor's bill. "'And now that little fluffy baby is to marry into the peerage.' bless you how proud your mother would be had she lived are you sure aunt mary positive aunt mary's eyes filled and with a show of real if clumsy affection she leaned over and kissed her niece come dear get up i've ordered breakfast in the rooms miss cynthia sat up as if banished by that act the serious little mouse of a girl scampered into oblivion and in her place appeared a gay young rogue who sees the future lying bright ahead after all she smiled i'm not married yet and humming brightly from a current musical comedy not just yet just yet just yet she stretched forth one slim white arm to throw aside the coverlet at which point it is best discreetly to withdraw mr minot after a lonesome if abundant breakfast was at this moment strolling across the hotel courtyard towards yesterday morning's new york papers as he walked THE PERT PROMISES OF MR. TRIMMER FILLED HIS MIND. WHAT WAS THE PROPOSITION MR. TRIMMER HAD IN TOW? HOW WOULD IT AFFECT THE APPROACHING WEDDING? AND WHAT COURSE OF ACTION SHOULD THE REPRESENTATIVE OF JEFFSON PURSUE WHEN IT WAS REVEALED? FOR IN THE SENSIBLE LIGHT OF MORNING DICK Minot REALIZED THAT WHILE HE REMAINED IN SAN MARCO AS THE GUARDIAN OF JEFFSON'S INTERESTS, HE MUST DO HIS DUTY. Adorable MISS MERRICK MIGHT BE, BUT ANY CHANGE OF MIND ON HER PART MUST BE OVER HIS DEAD BODY. A promise was a promise. With this resolve firm he proceeded along the hot sidewalk of San Sebastian Avenue. On his right the rich shops again, a dignified Spanish church as old as the town, a rambling lackadaisical opera-house. On his left the green and sand-covered plaza, with the old Spanish governor's house in the center, now serving Uncle Sam as a post-office. A city of the past was this, other times other manners breathed in the air. At the newsstand, Minot met Jack Paddock, jaunty, with a gardenia in his buttonhole and the atmosphere of prosperity that goes with it. "'Come for a stroll,' Paddock suggested. "'I presume you want the giddy story of my life, I promised you yesterday. "'Been down to the old Spanish fort yet? "'No. "'Come ahead. "'And there on the ramparts, I'll impart.' They went down the narrow and very modern street of the souvenir vendors. Suddenly the street ended, and they walked again in the past— The remnants of the old city gates restored loomed in the sunlight. They stepped through the portals, and Minot gave a gasp. There, in the quiet morning, stood the great grey fort that the early settlers had built to protect themselves from the gay dogs who roamed the seas. Its massive walls spoke clearly of romance, of bloody days of cutlass and spike, of bandaged heads and ready arms. Such things still stood, still stood in the United States, land of steam radiators and men who marched in suffrage parades the old caretaker let them in and they went up the stone steps to stand at last on the parapet looking down on the shimmering sea to minot fresh from broadway it all seemed like a colorful dream they climbed to the highest point and sat swinging their legs over the edge far below the bright blue waters broke on the lower walls it's a funny country down here paddock said slowly a sort of too good to be true who believes it place bright and gay and full of green palms and so much like a musical comedy you keep waiting all the time for the curtain to go down, and the male population to begin to march up the aisle. I've been here three months, and I don't yet think it's really true. He shifted on the cold stones. Ever since white men hit on it, he went on, it sort of kept luring them here on fool dream hunts, like a woman. Along about the time old Ponce de Leon came over here, prospecting for the fountain that nobody but Lillian Russell has located yet. Another Spaniard, I forget his name, had a pipe dream too. He came over Hotfoot looking for a mountain of gold he dreamed was here. I'm sorry for that, old boy. Sorry for him? repeated Minot. Yes, sorry. He had the right idea, but he arrived several hundred years too soon. He should have waited until the yellow rich from the north showed up here. Then he'd have found his mountain. He'd have found a whole range of them i suppose i'm to infer mr minot said that where he failed you've landed right dick i am right on the mountain with my little alpenstock in hand i'm sorry replied minot frankly you might have amounted to something if you'd been separated from money long enough so i've heard paddock said with a yawn but it wasn't to be i haven't seen you since we left college have i well dick for a couple of years i tried to make good doing fiction I turned them out by the yard. Nice, quiet little tea-table yarns with snappy dialogue. Once I got eighty dollars for a story. It was hard work, and I always did yearn for the purple, you know. I know, said Minot gravely. Well, I've struck it, Dick. I've struck the deep purple with a loud and sickening thud. Hist! The graft I mentioned yesterday? He glanced over his shoulder. Remember Mrs. Bruce, the wittiest hostess in San Marco? Of course I do. "'Well, I write her repartee for her.' "'Her what?' "'Her repartee, her dialogue, "'the bright talk she convulses dinner-tables with. "'Instead of putting my smart stuff into stories at 80 per, "'I sell it to Mrs. Bruce at—' "'I'm ashamed to tell you, old man. "'I remarked that it was essentially soft.' "'It is.' "'This is a new one on me,' said Minot, dazed. "'A delighted smile spread over Mr. Haddock's handsome face. "'Thanks.' that's the beauty of it. I'm a pioneer. There'll be others, but I was the first. Consider the situation. Here's Mrs. Bruce, loaded with diamonds and money, but tongue-tied in company, with a wit developed in Zanesville, Ohio. Bright, but struggling, young author comes to her, offers to make her conversation the sensation of the place for a few pesos. You did that? Yes. I asked Prosperity to remember it was I who invented the graft, Mrs. Bruce fell on my fair young neck. Now she gives me in advance a list of her engagements, and for the important ones I devise her line of talk. Then, as I'm usually present on the occasion, I swing things round to her and give her her cues. If I'm not there, she has to manage it herself. It's a great life, only a bit of strain on me. I have to remember not to be clever in company. If I forget and spring a good one, she jumps on me proper afterwards for not giving it to her. Jack? said minot slowly come away from here with me come north this place will finish you sure sorry old man laughed paddock but i've had a nip of the lotus this lazy old land suits me i like to sit on a veranda while a dusky menial in a white coat hands me the tinkle tinkle in a tall cool glass come away oh no i couldn't do that you'll marry down here sighed minot some girl with money and the career we all hoped you'd make for yourself will go up in a golden cloud. I met a girl, Paddock replied, half-closing his eyes and smiling cynically at the sea. Little thing from the Middle West, stopping at a back-street boarding-house, father in the hardware business, nobody at all. But eyes like the sea there, hands like butterflies, sort of, got me. That's how I happen to know I'll never marry, for if I married anybody it would have to be her. And I let her go home without saying a word, because I was selfish and LIKE this easy game and intend to stick to it until I'm smothered in rose leaves. Shall we wander back? See here, Jack. I don't want to preach. Minot tried to conceal his seriousness with a smile, but if I were you, I'd stick to this girl and make good, a- and leave this. Paddock laughed. Dick, you old idiot, this is meat and drink to me. This nice old land of loiter in the sun. Nay, nay. Now, I've really got to get back. Mrs. Bruce is giving a tango tea this afternoon. Informal, but something has to be said. These fellows who write a daily humorous column must lead a devil of a life. With a laugh, Minot followed his irresponsible friend down the steps. They crossed the bridge over the empty moat and came through the city streets again to the street of the alligator. By the way, Paddock said as they went up the hotel steps, You haven't told me what brought you south. Business, Jack, said Minot. It's a secret. Perhaps I can tell you later. Business? I thought, of course, you came for pleasure. There's no pleasure in this trip for me, said Minot bitterly. Oh, won't there? Paddock laughed. Wait till you hear Mrs. Bruce talk. See you later, old man. At luncheon, they brought Mr. Minot a telegram from a certain 17th floor in New York. An explosive telegram it read nonsense nobody here to take your place see it through you've given your word thacker gloomily mr minot considered what was there to do but see it through even though thacker would send another to take his place could he stay to woo the lady he adored hardly in that event he would have to go away never see her again never hear her voice if he stayed as jephson's representative he might know the glory of her nearness for a week might thrill at her smile even while he worked to wed her to lord harrowby and perhaps who could say hard as he might work might he not be thwarted it was possible so after lunch he sent thacker a reassuring message promising to stay and at the end of a dull hour in the lobby he set out to explore the town the mermaid tea house stood on the waterfront with a small second-story balcony that looked out on the harbor passing that way at four thirty that afternoon minot heard a voice call to him he glanced up oh mr minot won't you come into my parlor cynthia merrick smiled down on him splendid minot laughed i walk forlorn through this big spanish town suddenly a lattice is thrown wide a fair hand beckons i dash within thanks for dashing miss merrick greeted him on the balcony i was finding it dreadfully dull but i'm afraid the spanish romance is a little lacking there is no moonlight no lattice no mantilla no spanish beauty no matter minot answered i never did care for spanish types they flash like a skyrocket then tumble in the dark now the home-grown girls and nothing but tea she interrupted will you have a cup thanks was it really very dull yes this book was to blame She held up a novel. "'What's the matter with it?' "'Oh, it's one of those books in which the hero and heroine are forever gazing into each other's eyes, and they understand perfectly. But the reader doesn't. I've reached one of those gazing matches now.' "'But isn't it so in real life, when people gaze into each other's eyes? Don't they usually understand?' "'Do they?' "'Don't they? You surely have more experience than I.' "'What makes you think so?' She smiled. "'because your eyes are so very easy to gaze into.' "'Mr. Minot, you're gazing into them brazenly. "'And neither of us understand, do we?' "'Oh, no, we're both completely at sea.' "'There!' she cried triumphantly. "'I told you these authors were all wrong.' Minot, having begun to gaze, found difficulty in stopping. She was near, she was beautiful, and a promise made in New York was a dim and distant thing, THE HOTEL FOLDERS TRY TO MAKE YOU BELIEVE FLORIDA ISN'T an ANNEX TO HEAVEN, HE SAID. I USED TO THINK THEY WERE LYING, BUT... SHE BLUSHED. BUT WHAT, MR. Minot?" HE LEANED CLOSE, A STRANGE LIGHT IN HIS EYES. HE OPENED HIS MOUTH TO SPEAK. SUDDENLY HE GLANCED OVER HER SHOULDER, AND THE LIGHT DIED FROM HIS EYES. HIS LIPS SET IN A BITTER CURVE. NOTHING, HE SAID. A SILENCE. MR. Minot you've grown awfully dull have i i'm sorry must i go back to my book she was interrupted by the shrill triumphant cry of a yacht siren at her back she turned her head the lilith she said exactly said minot the bridegroom cometh another silence you'll want to meet him minot said rising he stood looking at the boat "'flashing gaily in the sunshine. "'I'll go with you as far as the street. "'But you know Lord Harrowby. "'Meet him with me. "'It seems hardly the thing. "'But I'm not sentimental. "'And surely Alan's not.' "'Then I must be,' said Minot. "'Really, I'd rather not.' They went together to the street. At the parting of the ways, Minot turned to her. "'I promised Lord Harrowby in New York,' he told her. THAT YOU WOULD HAVE YOUR LAMP TRIMMED AND BURNING." SHE LOOKED UP AT HIM. A mischievous LIGHT CAME INTO HER EYES. PLEASE? HAVE YOU A MATCH? SHE ASKED. IT WAS TOO MUCH. Minot TURNED AND FLED DOWN THE STREET. HE DID NOT ONCE LOOK BACK, THOUGH IT SEEMED TO HIM THAT HE FELT EVERY STEP THE GIRL TOOK ACROSS THAT NARROW PIER TO HER FIANCE'S SIDE. AS HE DRESSED FOR DINNER THAT NIGHT HIS TELEPHONE RANG, AND MISS MERRICK'S VOICE SOUNDED OVER THE WIRE. Harrowby remembers you very pleasantly. Won't you join us at dinner? Are you sure an outsider? He began. Nonsense. Mr. Martin Wall is to be there. Ah, thank you. I'll be delighted, Minot replied. In the lobby, Harrowby seized his hand. My dear chap, you're looking fit. Great to see you again. By the way, do you know Martin Wall? Yes, Mr. Wall and I met just before the splash, Minot smiled. He shook hands with Wall, unaccountably genial and beaming. The Hudson, Mr. Wall, is a bit chilly in February. My dear fellow, said Wall, can you ever forgive me? A thousand apologies. It was all a mistake, a horrible mistake. I felt like a rotter when I heard about it, Harrowby put in. Martin mistook you for someone else. You must forgive us both. Freely, said Minot, and I want to apologize for my suspicions of you, Lord Harrowby thanks old chap i never doubted you would come after i saw miss merrick she is a ripper isn't she said harrowby enthusiastically martin wall shot a quick almost hostile glance at minot you've noticed that yourself haven't you he said in minot's ear at which point the merrick family arrived and they all went in to dinner that function could hardly be described as hilarious aunt mary fluttered and gasped in her triumph and spoke often of her horror of the new. The recent admission of automobiles to the sacred precincts of Bahaba seemed to be a great and disturbing fact in life for her. Spencer Merrick said little. His thoughts were far away. The Russian scramble of a business office, the click of typewriters, the excitement of the dollar chase. These things had been his life. Deprived of them, like many another exile in the South, he moved in a dim world of unrealities and wished that he were home. Minot, too, had little to say. On Martin Wall fell the burden of entertainment, and he bore it as one trained for the work. Blithely he gossiped of queer corners that had known him, and amid the flow of his oratory the dinner progressed. It was after dinner, when they all stood together in the lobby a moment before separating, that Mr. Henry Trimmer made good his promise out of a clear day. Cynthia Merrick stood facing the others, talking brightly, when suddenly her face paled and the flippant words died on her lips. They all turned instantly. Through the lobby, in a buzz of exciting comment, a man walked slowly, his eyes on the ground. He was a tall, blond Englishman, not unlike Lord Harrowby in appearance. His grey eyes, when he raised them for a moment, were listless. His shoulders stooped and weary, and had a long, drooping moustache that hung like a weeping willow above a particularly cheerless stream. However, it was not his appearance that excited comment and caused Miss Merrick to pale. Hung over his shoulders was a pair of sandwich boards, such as the outcasts of a great city carry up and down the streets. On the front board, turned full towards Miss Merrick's dinner party, was printed in bold letters, I am the real Lord Harrowby." With a little gasp and a murmured apology, Miss Merrick turned quickly and entered the elevator. Lord Harrowby stood like a man of stone, gazing at the sandwich boards. It was at this point that the hotel detective sufficiently recovered himself to lay eager hands on the audacious sandwich man and propel him violently from the scene. In the background, Mr. Minot perceived Henry Trimmer, puffing excitedly on a big black cigar a triumphant look on his face. Mr. Trimmer's bomb was thrown. End of chapter 5. Recording by Todd